following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning. Uh, glad you're here this morning. And uh, we do want to worship and honor and uh, hear from the Lord as he speaks to us this morning. Uh, title for our message is uh, Help in Times of Trouble. Not that any of us are in times of trouble, but uh, it may feel that way. Uh, So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 35. So we'll start there by reading the scripture together. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 35. While he was saying these things to to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come, lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Lord, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going, uh, behold, a demon-possessed, demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never has anything like this been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Uh, We really are living in crazy and very interesting times. Uh, And uh, there's probably never been, certainly in my lifetime and maybe uh, for a very long time, there's not been a a time when everybody has been kind of impacted by the world events that are all going on uh, in such a comprehensive way. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're poor or if you're wealthy, uh, where, what country you live in, what language you speak. Everybody is confronted with and dealing with the issues of uh, the current pandemic. Uh, in fact, I saw an article yesterday that even Bill Gates is feeling the pressure. Second rich, wealthiest man in the world, and he's feeling... Um, that he has failed because he didn't warn the world uh, thoroughly enough before this happened. Um, I appreciate his heart. I don't know that his warnings would have made a difference. Uh, uh, the point is, though, that we're all feeling it. We all are feeling the stress and the challenges and the difficulty as our, our lives are being uh, turned upside down by what's going on right now. Uh, certainly there's the social distancing that's caused people to feel isolated uh, and missing community and relationships with friends. Um, uh, some people have commented that they're spending way too much time with their own children and not enough time with adult friends. And uh, you may feel that way. Um, many of us have had uh, our, our travel plans just completely uh, canceled and turned upside down. Um, conferences are canceled, meetings are canceled, and our schedules are canceled. And what makes it more difficult is we don't even know how or when to reschedule those things. Like, are things going to be different in July? Are they going to be different in October? Uh, Are they going to be different next summer? We don't don't know. 
Uh, so it's hard to plan, and, and we know of people who are stuck outside of Thailand who cannot get back home, and um, it's not looking hopeful or promising for them. And their lives are just kind of stuck and suspended in limbo. Uh, and, and we all... We all just want things to go back to normal, right? That's what everybody wants. We want it to just go back to life the way it was before. Um, but uh, it's not. And it's very natural uh, to experience lots of negative emotions that come out of that, right? And I don't know what you may be feeling, but it, and it may not be constant or all the time, but certainly we all have at one time or another felt anxiety or worry or just frustration or maybe discouragement, uh, there can be fear, there can be anger, uh, there can be depression, uh, we might feel hopeless. Uh, and all those things can come when uh, we realize how not in control we are of things and, and, and the problems that are, that are coming up more and more as this drags on longer and longer. Um, but we know that Scripture gives us hope that, uh, that with Jesus things should be different, Right? Uh, not that our circumstances be diff- should be different, but that there should be hope and there should be a way to face uh, these challenges of life with a certain degree of confidence or hope or faith. And so uh, when we come to this account today, uh, it's very encouraging because these are people who had had their lives turned upside down by, by difficulty and trouble. And yet they found the answer in Jesus. And uh, as the title of my sermon Uh, Jesus promises to be help in times of trouble. So if you're feeling you're in a time of trouble, if you're feeling like you don't know what to do next or you're uncertain, we know that um, Jesus is the answer. Of course, it's trite and it's easy to say that. It's another thing to apply it. So, So how do we conquer the uncertainties? How do we overcome our frustrations and fears about the future with a, a bold faith in Jesus? Well, that's what we want to look at and, and uh, unpack a bit from uh, this last section in chapter 9 of Matthew. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to just uh, highlight for you um, a little bit of the structure of Matthew. Now, you may not be superly excited about this, but I hope next time you read through the book of Matthew, it helps uh, Matthew make more sense when you see how Matthew has very carefully laid out his, his outline or his message. Um, and... Uh, we, we read the last verse that we read in chapter 9, verse 35 says, uh, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. What's interesting is the very uh, almost last verse of chapter 4 is almost identical. Uh, chapter 4, verse 23, before he launches into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says this, and, and he went through Galilee, so instead of uh, the cities and villages, he, he just summarizes with Galilee. He went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So he begins and he ends this section, chapters 5, six, uh, five through 9, with, with these statements that summarize Jesus' ministry. And Jesus' ministry comprised basically two things. Jesus went around and he taught uh, about the kingdom and he did all kinds of miracles of healing and of uh, dealing with every kind of affliction. And so in between these two uh, identical uh, statements about Jesus' ministry, uh, Matthew splits it into two sections. The first section is the Sermon on the Mount, where uh, Jesus, uh, we, get, we get a sample of, of everything that Jesus taught about the kingdom. And, and that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about, chapters 5 through 7. So we get this very detailed sample of Jesus' teaching. And then in chapters 8 through 9, we see Jesus healing every disease and dealing with every affliction. Uh, and in chapters 8 and 9, the, the material is broke down into three sets of three stories of healing. Uh, and in between each set is a small section of instruction or where Jesus deals with issues related to discipleship. Right? So um, what Matthew has done in a very uh, concise way is uh, with these two bookends, he's really illustrated what it meant when Jesus said he, he, he taught the kingdom and he healed all their diseases. Um, and, and Matthew also does it in a way that's very to the point. And if we compare many of these stories with the similar stories in, say, Luke or Mark, uh, many of Matthew's stories are, are half to one-third the length. 
So Matthew's not giving us a lot of detail. He's not giving us time to really sink into the lives of these people at great depth. But he's giving a broad kind of a shotgun blast of all the different ways that Jesus healed and uh, ministered to people and how he, he, held, he, he held people with every kind of affliction, every kind of problem, every difficulty. Um, so in, in, in chapter 9, verse 18, we see the last set of three. Three stories. Now, there's actually four miracles that Jesus does, but it's com, com, uh, com, com, combined, compiled, I don't know, in three stories, right? Four people, three stories. Uh, the first story starts off uh, with uh, the ruler, uh, probably a synagogue ruler. Uh, he's, again, Matthew is not specific, who comes and kneels before Jesus. And he says, my daughter has died. Uh, would you come? And if you would just lay your hands on her, she will live. And really, for the synagogue ruler, an amazing declaration of faith in Jesus' power to do what, what to this point, Jesus has not done yet. Right? Uh, this is taking it to a new level. This isn't just healing from her disease, because she's past that. Right? She's past doctors. She's past healing. She's, she's, she's died. But he has confidence. You just, if you would just come, Jesus, and just lay your hands on her, uh, she will live. Uh, and as he's going to the ruler's house, um, there's a woman who's uh, uh, had a, a physical problem where she's been bleeding, hemorrhaging in some way for 12 years. And so for 12 years, she has been uh, dealing with this physical problem. And she says, she, she thinks in her mind, if I could just get to Jesus, and if I could just touch the fringe of his garment, if I could just touch the, the corner of his robe... I, I could be healed. I believe there's, there's power in Jesus to heal me. And so she, uh, because of her bleeding, would have been unclean. And, and she really would have been much like the leper in, uh, at the beginning. The first story in chapter 8 was the story of a leper who was unclean. She would have been cut off from community. She would have been living in isolation from the world around her uh, because she was constantly in a state of being unclean and impure. So she couldn't have contact with other people. Um, if she had this condition before she got married, it would meant that she would never have been able to get married. Uh, if she got the condition after she was married, it's very likely that her husband would have divorced her. So here's a lady who's, who's alone. And it's very interesting. Uh, in Greek, the word is actually, it says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, Jesus could save me. Right? So it's not actually the word heal. The word that's used there is the word to save or bring salvation. And, and later it says, after she comes and confronts Jesus, that Jesus says, go, uh, you are saved. And it has this idea that uh, her condition was so life-consuming and it had so messed up her whole life that uh, it wasn't just needing healing, but she really needed saving. And, and so she sneaks through the crowd and careful not to touch others because she would, she would pass her in, impurity onto them. And hugely risk, risky to touch Jesus. Because even to touch his clothes would have transmitted her uncleanness to him. But, but she takes the risk and she sneaks up and she touches his garment. And Jesus turns around and he says, Take heart. Be encouraged, my daughter. Your faith has healed you. And instantly she's better. So then the story continues on and, and uh, they arrive at the house of the ruler uh, and, and the mourners are there, and part of that culture, uh, they, they would mourn with great passion and, and noise. And uh, they would uh, have flute players and, and professional wailers who would come and wail. And it says there was this great commotion because this man's young daughter, probably a very young child, had died. And they were all feeling the, the, the loss of that. And so Jesus comes and he says to her, uh, assisted to the people, uh, go away for the girl is not dead, but she is sleeping. Uh, and we could uh, talk a lot about what that means. But in short, what Jesus is saying is the death that she has experienced is not permanent. That she has a death where she could be aw aw awoken. Why am I having problems with English words today? Awaken, awoken, ver verb tenses are killing me today. Uh, he could wake her up, right? He could bring, bring an end to the state that she was in, right? And it's very promising for all of us because for any of us, death is no longer a permanent condition. And throughout much of the New Testament, it speaks of death in terms of sleep, right? 
that is something that we can be uh, brought back from and out of, and we will through the resurrection in Jesus. Um, but the people laughed at him, right? That uh, that because they knew, they knew that she was dead, right? They knew there was no mistaking here that, that somehow she had just fallen asleep. She was beyond that. Uh, but they put her out, and Jesus goes and he takes her by the hand, and it says she arose. Literally, the word that's used there could be used with three different meanings. One to just for somebody just to stand up, to arise, to rise up, uh, but it can also mean to wake somebody up. And thirdly, it can mean it's the word that Matthew uses most for actually being raised from the dead. And Jesus was, he got up, he was, he was, he raised from the dead, right? And, and it's interesting that in this context, all three of those things would apply to this girl. She physically got up, Jesus woke her from her death of sleep, and uh, she, she was resurrected, right, to new life. Um, uh, so that's, that's, that's technically the first story. Two miracles, but the first story. Then um, it says, and Jesus passes from there. And it's interesting, through all of chapter 8 and 9, uh, Matthew kind of, if you, would, if you could think in cinemagraphic terms, uh, Matthew films it from Jesus going from one thing to the next to the next in this kind of continuous action where it's never broken up. Right where Jesus gets in the boat and then he gets out of the boat and then he gets back in the boat and he arrives back at Capernaum and there's a crowd and he goes in the house. Right here he goes uh, uh, and heals the, the the girl and then as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him. So as Jesus returns back to his home, two blind men follow him, crying out, screaming in a loud voice, "Have mercy on us, Son of David!" The whole way. So you can just imagine. And it took a while to get there. Uh, and on the way back, the whole way, these two blind guys are following, screaming, Have mercy on us, son of David! Uh, and Jesus seems to somewhat ignore them. Uh, he doesn't really acknowledge them. And he gets back to his house. And there, Jesus uh, invites them or, or, or holds the door open for them to come back in where he is staying to his home. Uh, and he brings them in. And in a very personal, private setting, he confronts them. He says, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe I am able? And they said, yes. And Jesus touched their eyes. Uh, both of them, he touches their eyes. And for a blind person, this, this would be important for anybody, but especially for a blind person. right? Because a blind person, their whole world is experienced through two things, through hearing and through touch. right? And so they heard Jesus' voice, but even more so, he touches them. And he connects with them in, the, in, in his home. And he heals them. And they both see. And he sternly warns them and says he, he actually fiercely warns them in the strongest of terms, don't tell anybody. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of debate about why Jesus wants to be secret. Um, certainly it's to keep the crowds down. But also it's clear that Jesus is, is not healing them because he wants to extend or expand his reputation. Like Jesus is not doing this for the show. To say, hey, everybody, see what I did? No, he's trying to keep things private. And he does it because he cares about them, not because he's trying to bolster his own reputation or image. Uh, but, of course, they ignore his advice. And it is kind of hard to keep blindness a secret. Like you go out all of a sudden, you're blind, your friends all see you, you're seeing, it's like, uh, you've changed. <laughs> I don't know how they were supposed to keep this a secret. Um, and soon uh, his reputation extends even farther. His fame all that district. Uh, then finally we come to the, the third healing. As they were going away, again, it's, it's all connected. So as they leave Jesus' house, and maybe Jesus leaves with them, behold, a, a demon-impressed man who, who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never has anything been done like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said... He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Um, so what I want to do is I want to uh, kind of summarize those a bit. And I want to take those stories along with all of the miracles uh, and accounts of chapters 8 and 9 and summarize from them some, some great themes or principles that can be helpfully helpful for us. And the first theme that we see is the kind of people who go to Jesus for help. And, and it's important for us because if we want to really be... Um, people of faith, we, we, we can learn something from how all these people, these ten different people, uh, came to Jesus. What was it about their life 
that drew them to Jesus? And is there ways we could, uh, we, we could do that in our own life? And the second big principle is we want to look that Jesus was faithful to help any who come to him. Any who come to him because they believe he can do something about their problem. So first let's look at the, the people who go. And, and to summarize all of these ten people, all ten people who found themselves needing help from Jesus, you could summarize, summarize them by one simple word, and it's the word desperation. Desperate. These were all deeply desperate people. Um, and, and it really is, I believe, uh, a gift, as we will see, to be desperate. Now, how many of you want to, in life, uh, hope to be in a place where you're desperate? <laughs> None of us, right? None of us. I mean, we, we, we live our whole life to make sure we don't end up in a place where we are in desperate need or desperate straits, right? We live our life in completely the opposite direction. What we see with all this, these people is that them coming to Jesus in faith began out of their desperation, their desperate need for help. And so I believe that um, oftentimes God allows difficult things to come into our life, maybe a coronavirus or a world meltdown or whatever it is, whatever trial or struggle you face with relationships or family or co-workers. Uh, because desperation is a gift that helps us walk into faith in Jesus. And what we see with these people is they had all come to a place where they were so desperate that they, they saw Jesus as their only possible hope. Right, everyone, and we could go through all ten stories. We won't, but but they all they all display this. Uh, the ruler uh, who came, uh, his 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 daughter had died. The mourners were already there. Right, uh, she was beyond doctors. She was beyond any other help. She was even beyond Jesus' healing. And he he is desperate. Right, he is desperate. There is no one else in the world that could possibly do what he is asking. Uh, but he knows that if there's any hope at all, it is in Jesus alone. Jesus has some kind of power, and, and Jesus is one who could, who could do this. If he would just lay his hands on her, Jesus could bring her back to life. Uh, we see this desperation in the woman with the bleeding disorder. For 12 years this has been going on, wrecking her life, turning her life upside down. And as I said, her cry that, that Jesus could save her was really an indication of how desperate she was. It wasn't just that it was inconvenient and she's like, well, this was really kind of annoying and, and uh, you know, if I could get this cleared up, my life would be so much easier. No, she um, was being wrecked by this. Being a woman, being in a place where being single was very difficult, being in a place where being unclean cut you off from the rest of society. Her world and her life were uh, crashing down and nobody, no one had been able to help her. Imagine if the coronavirus and this, this whole plague continued on for 12 more years. <laughs> okay, heaven forbid that. Like, like, I'm thinking 12 more months is... I'm thinking 12 more weeks is like more than I can take, right? And here's a woman who's been dealing with this for 12 years. Right? She is desperate for help. So desperate that she will risk um, going out in public and taking her her uncleanness out into the crowd where she is putting everybody at risk. But even more than that, to touch Jesus right, is hugely risky because Jesus could have turned around and said to her, What have you done to me? You have made me unclean. What were you thinking? Right? And he could have publicly humiliated and shamed her right, if, if he knew uh, why she touched him. And, and certainly that's why she is so secret. And why she doesn't want a face-to-face confrontation with Jesus. Why she sneaks in and, and does it where he, uh, no one would know. Because she's desperate. Right? She's desperate. Um, like, like the leper in the very first miracle who was desperate um, after years of being isolated and cut off. Um, who, who, who went to great risk to, to come to Jesus and risk um, his uncleanness affecting Jesus. Another one that I really like out of the stories is the, the disciples in the boat. Remember, they got in the boat and they were going across the Sea of Galilee and a storm came on the boat. And, um, and these were fishermen. These were guys who spent a lot of time on the, on the Sea of Galilee. These were men who had experience. 
But they come to Jesus and they wake him up saying, Lord, save us. Um, we're having a bit of a problem here. Is that what he says? Lord, save us. Like, um, it's raining really hard and we're getting soaked to the bone. Is that what they say? No. They say, no, Lord, save us. We are perishing. Right? We're dying here. We're about to sink to the bottom of the ocean and you're just sleeping. Right? They are desperate uh, for help. Not just a little concerned. They are de- in desperate need, feeling it is a matter of life or death. Um, the two blind men following Jesus back to his house. Right? They're not just saying, hey Jesus, if you have a minute, could you help us? Right? Hey, son of David, you're like, you're like a cool dude, and I think you could... No, they're screaming, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Because they are desperate, right? Because Jesus is the only hope for them. Uh, because if, if, if they let this opportunity to meet with Jesus pass them by, this may be their only chance, their only option, their only source of help. And, and what forced them to, to take uh, desperate action, what forced them to take, take huge risks, to, to cry out in the, in, the, in the crowd for Jesus to show mercy when they could all tell him to just be quiet and go away, was because they were so desperate. They needed Jesus. And you contrast that with the scribes and the Pharisees who criticized Jesus, who attribute Jesus' miracles to being done by the power of Satan. Um, Why could the scribes and Pharisees be so cold and so clueless? Well, the scribes and the Pharisees were wealthy and powerful. Uh, They didn't have a lot of needs. In their lives, they had everything they needed. Their life was under control, and and they could get and do whatever they wanted. They were not desperate. Um... And so that's why in, in, in Matthew 9, verse 12, Jesus says, uh, it's those who, are, those who are well have no need of a physician. Right? Those who think they're healthy aren't desperate, and so they don't come to the doctor for help. But those who are sick know they need help. And so uh, a really important question for us, when we look at all uh, that goes on in these two chapters, is... Are we desperate for Jesus? Right? Are we in a place where we really believe Jesus is our only hope? All too often, unfortunately, like, uh, like the Pharisees and the scribes, we live in a world where our lives are way too ordered, way too under control, and we have way too much covered. Uh, and when we do meet obstacles or difficulties, we have endless options before us of how we can solve the problem. We have insurance, and we have... Uh, we have savings accounts and we have governments that will give us all kinds of money. I love this, right? Just for free. Some governments are just passing out money. Um, If you're not one of those countries, you should change your citizenship. It was only that easy, right? Um, uh, You know, we have have doctors and we have counselors and we have self-help books and if none of that works, we have YouTube videos, right? If you don't know what to do, just, just Google it, right? And, and best of all, we have friends' advice on Facebook. It just doesn't get any better than that. If you just have a problem, just put it out there on Facebook and everybody will give you their opinion. And I'm not saying that, that we should never go to a doctor or that counselors can't help us. I'm not saying that, right? But what I'm saying is this. Is Jesus just one more of all these good options? Like we've got doctors, we've got counselors, we've got Facebook, and we've got Jesus, and he's just one of many options for us that could help us. Um, that is not coming to a place of desperate need where we know Jesus alone can help us. Um, and, and one of the reasons we, we don't go to Jesus um, is because we're not convinced that he alone is the ultimate one who can help us. Uh, I think we need to get to a, a much greater place of desperation in our life, oftentimes, where we acknowledge that our only real hope, our only real answer, our only real solution is in Jesus alone. And he may use many other things, but the first place we must go, not the last, the first place we must go is to seek Jesus for help. And that's the second thing that we learn, actually, 
first we learned that these people were desperate, but secondly we learned that, that in going to Jesus, they were taking the first steps of faith. Right? That going is actually exercising faith. All these people were desperate, and they knew Jesus could help them, but they just didn't sit home and say, wow, I just wish Jesus would come to my house. I wish Jesus would come visit me. Right? No. They went to Jesus, believing that Jesus could do something about their problem. So they went seeking Him. They went after Him, even at a great risk, like the woman leading a great risk. Even if it meant sneaking up to her, Him, they went to Him. And they did that because they were desperate and they knew that Jesus was their only hope. And just doing that was, was an act of faith, right? I love the ruler. When the ruler comes, um, he says to Jesus, look, if you just come, if you will just lay your hands on her, she'll come back to life, right? What an amazing declaration of faith. Uh, much like the centurion uh, in an earlier chapter where he comes to Jesus and said, if, if you would just give word, you don't even have to come, if you would just send your word, uh, my servant could be healed. The woman, if I just touch the fringe of his robe, if I could just get to him and just touch the fringe of his robe, I will be saved. The blind men, have mercy on us. Jesus says, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yes. Right? But their faith took form because they went to Jesus. They turned to him. They sought him. Um, what's interesting, though, in all this, in all three sets of stories, um, not everybody actually went to Jesus, right? Just when we think we've got this figured out into a formula that's always going to work, uh, Matthew messes it up with a story that doesn't quite fit. Uh, my, uh, in chapter 8, uh, Jesus goes across the lake and he runs across two crazy demon-possessed people in the, in, the, in the graveyard, among the tombs, remember? They did not come to Jesus. Well, they did come to Jesus, but they came mocking Jesus and hurling insults as these de- demoniacs acknowledged him as Son of God, but would not bow to him. Right? Um, but even then, Jesus, uh, where there was no faith, right? The demoniacs did not have faith. The demons certainly did not have faith. Jesus still heals them. He casts out the demons. And it's a great reminder that faith is important. Right? And going to Jesus and taking those steps of faith of seeking him are extremely important. But it's not our faith that has power to do anything. None of these people were healed by their own faith. Right? They were all healed by Jesus. Now their faith is what brought them into Jesus' presence. Their, their faith is what brought them seeking Jesus for help. But in these stories, and, and, and in this passage here in chapter 9, they bring the deaf mute, uh, who's also demon-possessed. And he has no faith of his own. Right? He does not come seeking Jesus. Somebody brings him. But Jesus still heals. right? Because the power to heal is in Jesus, not in our faith. Right? Um, And what's significant is where we have no faith, Jesus can heal. Even where we only have a little faith, Jesus can still work. Back to the boat. The disciples are in the boat, right? And they're they're crying out, Jesus, we're we're dying here. And Jesus wakes up and the first thing out of his mouth to them is, Oh, you of little faith. Right? The disciples had so little faith. They didn't understand who Jesus was. And, and if they had faith, they would have known they could not die in the boat. Right? But even in spite of that, even in spite of their lack of faith, Jesus still works. Right? So, so, so we, should, we, we need to feel a greater sense of desperation. Second principle here is that we need to be much more intentional about going to Jesus for help. Right? When we are discouraged when we are confused and uncertain about the future, when we're worried and hopeless about what's going to happen next, uh, it should be our instinct to go to Jesus first, to go to him with our problem, to go to him in prayer, to go seeking him for help, knowing that he is the one who can help you. The third principle of faith we see uh, of these people who come First, they were desperate. Secondly, they, they went to Jesus. Right? They didn't go anywhere else. They went to Jesus. They sought him. Thirdly, 
we find that those, uh, the, the better they knew who he was, the stronger their faith was, right? The better they knew him, the better it worked, right? Um, back to the boat. The disciples are in the boat. They didn't have any faith. Why did they not have faith? Well, at the end of all this, when Jesus calms the storm, uh, they said to him, they said, who is this? Right? That was the problem. They didn't really know who Jesus was. They knew he was a good teacher. They thought maybe he was a prophet. Maybe he was some kind of Messiah. What they didn't understand is that Jesus had come from heaven. He had come from God. He was the Son of God who had come on a mission to save the world. And that he could not die in a boat until his mission was complete. Right? They didn't really know who he was, so their faith was weak. On the other hand, take the blind men in chapter 9 that we just looked at. They cry out, have mercy on us, son of David. Son of David is a, is, uh, was understood by all the Jews to be a very messianic title. Right? They, weren't, they didn't see Jesus as just uh, a prophet or a good teacher. They recognized Jesus as the messianic son of David who was the promised one who had come to restore Israel. Um, and I think their thinking probably went like this. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah and many of the prophets talked about this messianic figure, right? And so in Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, it talks about what this messianic person will do. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I think these guys thought, hey, if this is the Messiah, the Old Testament prophets predicted that he would be one who would give sight to the blind. Oh, son of David, have mercy on us. They went to him seeking help because they believed he was this messianic figure, this promised one who would give sight to the blind. And guess what? I'm blind, right? Right? I'm the kind of person you came to help. And so they go to Jesus. Right? On, their hand, on the other hand, the scribes and the Pharisees do not know who Jesus is. And they do not want to know. Uh, in spite of all of his miracles, and all this, in spite of all the signs where Jesus is showing that he has authority over every power and over everything, uh, the Pharisees do not want him to be the Messiah. They do not want to know him as the Son of God. They do not want to know who he is. They've already made up their minds and they have rejected him. And so we see Jesus helping them little or none. Is it because Jesus doesn't love them? He does. But until they come to know who Jesus is, he cannot help them. Because they do not go to him for help. Right? They are not the ones who see themselves as sick in need of a doctor. So they never go to Jesus and ask for help. Um, okay, so those are the three principles of those who come. There's probably more. Well, there are more. But uh, it gives us a start, right? These are people who, were, who saw their desperate need for Jesus alone. And they went to him with this belief that Jesus could do something. And the more they knew who he was, the more likely they were to go to him for help. Um, now, uh, we, we can apply that, right? We, we, we need to uh, probably increase our sense of desperate need. Right? We're too much like the Pharisees. Uh, we need to come to a deeper understanding of what our real needs are. Uh, like the, like the, the cripple, the paralytic that Jesus healed, right? when they brought him to Jesus, Jesus marveled at their faith and he said, uh, Take heart, son. Uh, your sins are forgiven. Right? Uh, Jesus saw his greater need. Right? We need to see our greater need. It's just not our circumstances or outward things. It's, it's inward, and we desperately need his help. But my, my, my suspicion is this, because this is how oftentimes I am. Uh, we come to Jesus, we, we feel our desperate needs. Sometimes we are very desperate, and we go to Jesus for help, and we pray to him, and our experience is that Jesus did not help us. Anybody have that experience? Like, I went, I went to Jesus for help, and it didn't work. Jesus did not do what I wanted him to do, and he didn't do it. And so it just doesn't work, right? And so um, he did not solve my problems. He did not change things. 
So I read all these things and that's all good and, t- and, and you know, you can say that, but I don't think it works. At least not all the time. Like, maybe it works sometimes. But for me, it doesn't seem to work very often. Well, uh, the other principle that we can take out of all these stories is this. That Jesus never fails. Right? Jesus never fails. Uh, he is absolutely faithful and good. Uh, and being absolutely faithful and good and never failing is not the same as doing what we want. Okay? Those are two different things. That Jesus never fails does not mean Jesus is going to always do things exactly like we think he should. But it, it, it does mean that he will never fail us if we go to him in faith. All right? So let me, let me uh, highlight briefly, I'm not going to go into great depth, but let me just highlight briefly five things that Jesus will always do for us, I think, from this passage. Uh, five things that he will do to show that he will never fail us if we go to him with desperate, desperate need and faith. Firstly, uh, Jesus will always show us mercy. Right? He will always receive and welcome us with compassion. Right? I, lo- I love how even the demoniacs, like these, these crazy guys out in the tombs who, who are so violent, nobody can deal with them. Right? Nobody can go out where they are. Everybody is terrified of these guys. And even for these guys, Jesus shows up and, and he has compassion on the human beings that are being tormented by these uh, myriad of spirits. And they didn't seek Jesus' help. Right? They didn't come in faith. And yet Jesus shows compassion and he heals them. Right? Now if Jesus would do that for a demon-possessed lunatic who didn't even come in faith, uh, what would he do for those who come to him seeking his help? We can be assured that he will always show us mercy. Uh, when, when the woman came and snuck up to Jesus, she thought she could get away with this without him noticing. But of course, Jesus, Jesus notices. And even with her, uh, he, could not, he could have spared her all the embarrassment. He could have just healed her in secret. Right? He could have let her plan just work. And she would have gone away knowing that Jesus healed her, and she would have been happy. But that's not enough. It's not enough because she doesn't just need healing from her condition. She needs to know the heart and love of Jesus toward her. So Jesus confronts her and the first words to her are not, what have you done? What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Trying to steal something from me, right? That's not what Jesus says. He says, "Um, take heart, daughter, right? Take heart, daughter. When they brought the... Uh, the, the paralytic. He says the same exact words. Take heart. Be encouraged, son. Right? Um, we may not always be healed. Jesus may not always solve things the way we want. But we can know this, that Jesus will always respond to us with mercy, with compassion, with grace. Uh, he will always speak those words of kindness to us through his spirit. Second thing. We see in almost every case, almost every case, Jesus touches them, right? Jesus would have gone, right, who, who, who he should not have touched. The leper, he should not have touched. Uh, the dead girl, he should not have touched, right? To do so was to bring on himself uh, ritual uncleanness. And as, a, as an Orthodox Jew, that was against the rules. This woman who was bleeding, right, she touches him and he's okay with that. Uh, over and over again, the, the blind man, he touches them. The leper, he t- over and over again, he is touching them, right? I think we know this, so when we go to Jesus, um, he will give us his healing touch. Now, of course, it's not going to be the same because Jesus is not physically here anymore. Um, I think, though, when we meet him in heaven, we will be surprised at how hands-on he is, how he comes and he hugs us and he touches us, Right? But Jesus has other ways to do it, through his spirit, through his, through his words. Um, he, he, he wants to touch our heart and soul in ways that is life-giving. Right? When those blind men, those blind men uh, whose whole world was just hearing and touch, to have Jesus touch them, was to encounter Jesus in a way they never could have otherwise in their, their, their blind state. Jesus wants to touch us heart and soul, right, with his grace. 
sometimes he does that through his body. He can do that through his spirit. He can do it through his word. But, but he wants to touch us. And if we go to him, I think we can count on feeling and sensing his healing touch in our life. Thirdly, um, we, we see that Jesus speaks encouragement. Right? In fact, that word take heart that he spoke to the, 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 the woman and also to the paralytic, the word take heart literally means be encouraged, be strengthened, take courage, be brave in, in what you're facing because I am here with you and I'm going to take care of it. Right? Jesus speaks words of encouragement to them. And I think when we come to him, uh, there are times and there are reasons when, when Jesus wants us to go through trials and difficulties where he is not going to take away the problem. And we saw that, we see that in the letters of Paul where, where Paul says, I prayed over and over again that God would take away this thorn in the flesh, but he has not. Um, sometimes he will leave us in our, in our trial because he wants to teach us things. But even in those times, we can be confident that Jesus wants to speak encouragement to us, right? If we will go to him and we will let Jesus minister, he will encourage us, encourage us with words of kindness and mercy. Um, fourth thing, um, in every case, without fail, in every single instance in this passage, uh, ten, mir- ten miracles, nine stories, every single time, Jesus meets their need. He never fails to help them. Right? Never. And we can be confident that Jesus will never fail to give us the help we need. Now, he may not give us the help we want. Right? He may not make things easier for us. Right? He may not make our problems go away instantly. But he will always help us. Always. Right? He is faithful to that. It is his promise Um, It is what it means for him to be Messiah. It is why he went to the cross, right? We saw this with the the paralytic, that Jesus spoke to him forgiveness. He said, uh, your your sins are forgiven. Uh, And then in the next uh, um, section, when when the scribes come and they criticize Jesus Jesus for helping and hanging out with the sinners at the call of, of Matthew, uh, Jesus says, um, uh, it's, 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 it's not the, the sick, who, it's not the healthy who need a the sick, it's, it's, the, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick, right? It's the sick who need help. Learn what it means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And, and Jesus went to the cross to give us mercy, right? He came to this earth and he experienced all of its suffering and hurt and pain, because he wanted to help us and give us mercy. And so that's why the writer of Hebrews in in chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near, that is, go to the throne of grace. Like that's what he's saying. We go to Jesus. We draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's his promise, right? But we have to go, right? We have to go to the throne of grace. We have to go to him in our desperation and cry out, Lord Jesus, please help me. You are the only one who can really take care of my need. And he promises He will always do it. Always. He will be faithful to take care of us. Last thing we learn. Um, As I said, this this section is broke up with three sets of three. And in between are these teachings or these um, kind of um, sidebars where Jesus deals with issues of discipleship. Um, It would be easy, and that's what he's all about. But of course, that's not true. Uh, Jesus uh, wants to help us and he can help us. He has the heart to help us. But he doesn't help us so that we can be the center of our own universe. He doesn't help us so that we can just live our life and do whatever we want and when we get in a fix, poof, we have a magic genie to come help us. That's not what it's about. It makes it very clear in these passages that Jesus calls us to follow him as disciples. Right? He helps us 
so that we would come to know and trust him as one who's worthy to be followed. Right? And he invites us to do all of life with him as a friend, but even more so as Lord and Master, that we would be his disciples and his followers. And so as, as Jesus helps us, it's not so that we would be consumed with our own selfish need, but so we would trust him as the one we want to follow and devote our life to. Um, as Matthew did. Jesus called them and he left his tax booth and his wealth and he followed Jesus and he took on the life that Jesus had for him. And he did his life with Jesus. Um, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're struggling with or what uh, this current upheaval in the world has done to wreck your plans, uh, to wreck uh, or, or just discourage or bring fear. Right? Uh, but I hope you see that um, it's a gift feel, to feel our need. Right? It's a gift to be somewhat desperate because oftentimes it's that desperation that will cause us to take steps of faith toward Jesus. Um, but more than that, be encouraged that Jesus never fails. Right? And he has a heart of love and mercy towards you and I. And these stories remind us that he, he can... He can overcome every obstacle, right? He can cure every disease. He will uh, help through every affliction. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are um, a good and loving God who uh, is more than, Lord, you know, and you are there waiting uh, if we will just come and draw near to the throne of grace. And Lord, help us to do that and to have faith, not in all the other things that we so easily turn to, but to have faith in you as our Savior, as our hope, as our helper. And so, Lord, we, we even now turn to you with our need. And Lord, we, we, we call out to you for help. And we thank you that you will never fail. And we praise and, and celebrate your faithfulness. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.